very nice to meet you properly. Thank you. Thank you, Tony, for making this happen. Yeah. Okay, I think I'm trying to figure out. Um, Okay, so we are live on YouTube. Um, I think I've sorted that out. Let me just start recording. Okay, okay. So good morning, everyone. My name is Bamdele Toing. I'm called Mattel. And it's so great to have everyone here for the final session on series two for the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa. And here with me, we have Aisha and Imashaun and Hussein Michael Joseph, who will be discussing faith for change yeah we'll be trying to demystify and understand how does faith culture and the religious institution directly influence national growth and development especially for our undergraduate community and um, how can we use this as tools to increase our participation and inclusion in the economic value creation conversation about the future of africa so um, as we normally do it, we would have four series of conversations. The first would be uh, a trivia where we get to establish connection with our guests and um, you know, just um, understand who they are beyond who we've been able to Google them and beyond uh, maybe our restricted or limited um, understanding of who they are and what makes them tick um, and with this conversation. Secondly, we're gonna have the discourse where we try to demystify um, areas that are unclear to us on how to approach the understanding of these concepts, right? Uh, the third session is a strategy session where I guess will give us practical insights on actionable plans and actionable um, concepts that we can begin to work on. Then we'll round up with the forum where we discuss the one thing that defines what should be done, evaluated and measured over this next um, decade or this next period that will define our place in the future. So welcome once again uh, to our guest, Aisha, it's so great to have you. Thank you. Yes, and then uh, Hussein Michael Joseph. So how we'll do this is, um, it's just gonna be a conversation, right? Um, and the first thing we're going to discuss, especially as highlighted in the series, is the concept of the first wave, right? So um, Aisha is a Muslim and uh, Hussein is, is a Christian. So 
Um, and they both happen to be above my Oloy University graduates, you know, which makes it very interesting. So we can even see difference in perspectives within the same community, right? So we'll be talking in general terms, but you know, you can get as, as specific and as personal as you want to be. So first thing we want to establish is, you know, in, in the series, we talk about the first wave, right? The first wave being that political, social, and um, environmental or economic event that shakes up the undergraduate community and makes them come alive to start to question things, right? So we'd like to know within the religious context, uh, within your religious beliefs and all of that, what was the first wave for you as an undergraduate? So I think we'll have Aisha first, then we'll have Usan. Okay, um, thank you very much for having me. Um, the first day really is, because when I read your article, which was really insightful, and you know, you divided all these, um, the, the economic transformation into various, um, <laughs> various, okay, I'm a bit nervous. I'm just going to put that out there. So maybe once I get that nervous, it would go away. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> when you divide, when you divide it into like various um, parts and everything, it was very interesting because I think for the Muslim community, I would say we're still in the beginning. You know, we are not, mm. we are not very, we have unfortunately a lot of trust issues. So we're not very out there. I would say in some sectors, we are out there. For example, modest fashion is a thing and it's very developed, you know, and it's very global. But I would like to see in other areas, other sectors like the travel industry, like the food industry, we are not very still in the first wave. I hope I'm answering the question correctly. Yes, you actually answered the second question already, but wanted to learn what was that? Okay, like you were the leader of the MSN, MSSN community while you were an the undergraduate. So, co-president. Yeah, you were the co-president. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was that major event that happened during your time that kind of inspired you to lead differently? Well, I, okay, let me just put it out there. Honestly, I cannot say I succeeded you know, at leading differently. Um, some of it my fault and some of it just the systems in place that didn't make it possible for that to happen. Mm. Um, but like the event that, you know, we had that economic um, conference, born out of frustration that I really felt that like generally there's this book Okay, let me just start with that book. There's this book by Shelly Nazahra Jan Hamad. It's called Generation M. Um, and M. I can't remember the dot dot and you know everything that follows, but it talks about how the global uh, Muslim economies, I can't even say economy, is so wide and so untapped. And I was seeing this too, how you know we have many things that are kind of unique to Muslims and people are not catering to them. Or if there are people that are catering to them, there are people who don't understand our industries. And I, I have to be honest with you, when I did that conference, I am not disappointed now, but then I was very disappointed because people were coming late, people were not asking the questions I wanted. I didn't see that like, you know, pattern shift I really wanted. So, you know, that was, that was it, that was it. Wow, awesome. So it was birthed from a challenge from what you were experiencing. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. 
Okay. I think, yeah, you're on mute now. Yeah. Okay. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I think I should say that again. Um, was was really insightful listening to Miss um, Aisha speak. Now, for me, um, where I hope I, I hope I'm clear. I'm audible. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yes. All right. So, um, for me, where the major shift came for me personally was, I was born in a Christian home. Your the average uh, the average religious person is born into into um, the the culture of his of his parents' choice. At all, so I was born into um, a Christian home. I grew up having a general idea of what Christianity was like. Um, so living in that bubble, I lived in that bubble like almost all my life. Um, um, it's us against the rest of the world. It's we Christians against even even um, even Jews, Jews who and it, it's amazing how that the book that we have, um, the Holy Bible, is um, a fusion of um, Judeo-Christian ideas and all. So you have the Old Testament, which is purely Judo, um, which is um, the Jewish uh, the Jewish book, the Torah, and they'll add it to our New Testament books, which is um, the adding of our epistles written by the apostles of Jesus Christ and all of that, and the gospel, which is the life of Jesus. So basically, um, I had, I lived in that Christian bubble, that general Christian bubble that, that, that disconnected um, what I believed for what was happening in the world around me. I was taught that um, um, we needed to rapture, to disappear. Um, most of the, the ideas, the backlog of ideas that was, that was passed out at me. So I felt like, okay, I, needed, I always needed to escape. I was living in a world where the world was evil. I needed to run away. The love of money was the root of all evil. I had ideas that um, if I made money, I was going to lose my salvation. And also, those were the basic ideas that I had growing up. I, I, I felt like I couldn't stand up to my parents and tell them what my, my thoughts were, my, my, my feelings were, because I felt like it was going to, um, it was going to be something to um, disrespect or dishonor. And then, like how scripture says, that if you don't honor your parents, your life is going to be short, or your, so that your days will be long on earth. So in other words, if you don't honor them, you're, you're going to die young. And also, I had many of those ideas in my head. But when I entered into school, um, I, entered, I entered into school, of course, you know that how the academic environment gets you to start thinking um, differently. Um, I realized I was no longer under the protection of my parents. I was on my own. I had to spend for myself. Of course, my parents were spending money here and there, but they were making money. They were always spending me money, but I had to basically make decisions for myself. So I realized that there was no God outside there that was um, helping me make decisions. I had to make decisions um, for myself, I had to. I started seeing how that uh, many scriptural instructions, which I spiritualized because of the training that I had as a Christian, were actually instructions that could be applied in everyday life. So, uh, at first, it was a huge shock for me. Um, I almost headed into atheism. Uh, I became an agnostic for a period of time. I walked away from the faith completely because it looked like as though I was told a lie. I honestly could not believe that my Bible was, was what it was. It looked to me like a very super spiritual book. But I'm not seeing it as something I could have. For example, Proverbs 15 1 says, A soft answer turns wrath away. That's the important thing. It's something that can be applied in anybody's life as a well. So I began to see how that my Bible made, made sense 
my culture, the culture of Christianity was not what I was taught. I was taught religion. I was taught religion in the sense of um, what somebody passed down to me. So I became agnostic for a while. I almost headed into atheism, but somehow along the line, I somehow had some eureka moments and I began to cope with um, the things I was seeing. And for me, it made me start questioning a lot of things. When someone tells me something, the Bible tells me that um, a woman cannot pray, I ask why. Why can't she preach? And then uh, I began to ask a lot of questions. And I think that that happened for me around 2010, 2011, around that time when that major shift happened for me. It was a really it was a big meltdown of all my belief systems. Everything I knew up until that point was completely destroyed. And then I had to build up again um, from scratch. But I'm still in the face. I give thanks to God. So, but basically, that was that was it for me. Wow, amazing, amazing. Because you know, it makes me reflect back on um, the conversations we're having in the piece, and it says that most times change always starts with asking questions you know questioning the things questioning the reality questioning some belief systems that you already have already what accepted right so the second thing i want to ask right in this first section is what was the thing that most inspired you to think differently and follow that daunting road right that looked totally different from what you had known most of your life so aisha you go first again and then hussein would uh, give a response to that Okay, I'm sorry, please, somebody is talking, so can you mute, um, I don't know. Yes, I'm sorry, so I'm, I'm in an office, and, um, you know, so there are oh, people okay. that are talking, so that's why, okay. yes, okay, okay, it was okay, from okay. me, yes. All right, no problem. So, I'm just going to put it out there that I am not business-driven, I am a community organizer, so nothing I do has to do with business, unfortunately, if I wanted to do business today, I would, you know, give my money to somebody to help me with the business i would confess <laughs> that i'm not business driven at all but with that being said like the role i am in or the role i am currently i'm treading and i hope to you know do is like um and hopefully it's, it's a kind of role whereby when people come to me with these kinds of issues about business and you know can i do this can i um how can I drive really? How can I be successful? And when you're successful, ultimately, you actually drive that kind of transformative economic change that we are discussing here. It's the kind of role that like, I tell people, I try to show them a different kind of perspective. So awesome. what sort of, awesome. the question that you asked that, what sort of inspired me was really, I would say like, my legacy as a Muslim is one that is very rich in these kinds of change that I didn't discover early enough. And that was really it for me. I mean, just like, you know, when I look at the scholars, classical scholars of the past, people often look at them as only purely scholars who are religious scholars. But people like Imam Ghazali, people that are Muslim know them, or if you studied religious studies, Imam Ghazali even came here. These people literally wrote economic dissertations about the world they lived in at that time. You know, um, Ibn Khaldun was not just a sociologist, but he was an economist too. And that for me is it. it it's a holistic Thing for me. So I cannot just afford to say, oh, I just want to focus on my religion. I have to clearly interact with the outside world and not just do it, but do it well. 
because that's you no, know, I can't. I, oh, I'm sorry. not North Korea. I have to. Yeah. So that's it. Wow, brilliant submission. Thank you so much for that. So, um, yes, so what about you, Mr. Hussain? Okay, um, basically, just so that I don't, I don't miss it. The question, the question I'm asking is uh, what changed, what the points, the thing that really changed it for me, basically, right? Yes, that inspired, that inspired you, you know, after, after asking those questions and then it looked like a totally new world, what inspired you to keep going and treading down that road? Because one thing that we experience as groundbreakers in this age is that we don't have realities we can relate to you know like what we're trying to do with the venture matrix right it's not a reality but creating it from scratch so what inspired you to you know explore this your new context of of, of adventure that you had just found out okay the best answer i'm going to give to that is social media and I'm, I'm going to try to give context i'm going to try to give context to that so um, at the time i began to question an, an, a number of things um my present christian community at that time um, spewed me out. I was the, <laughs> I was a pariah. So everybody, um, the, the, the church I was in um, at the time um, picked me and singled me out and um, told everybody in the flock to um, leave me alone. <laughs> they should not take you with them and all. So um, it looked like I was the, I was the, 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 the black ship. Right? Outcast. Of the outcast of the, the flock. So I had no immediate um, community or, or company to keep me. Most of the friends I had were friends I made within that, um, not just within that religious community, but within that um, church community and all. And so most of my friends were told to stay away from me because I was asking too many questions. And it looked like if I didn't get the questions, I was going to die. I was making everybody ask the same questions too. And, uh, most mm. people are not used to questions. Most people are not used to um, questions like that. Most people do not understand that it's possible to ask a honest question, and it doesn't even mean that you're trying to threaten the faith. I, I think that um, I've discovered over the years that our faith was built on answered questions. Questions, so, exactly. Mm. So, so um, basically for me, so what, what happened next was I, I began to make certain friends, friends who were not exactly... Christian people and um, the people had a community and so I discovered Facebook. Um, fine, I registered on Facebook before that time, but Facebook now became my solace since my physical friends were no longer available. So I discovered Facebook. I discovered some other friends who were not exactly super spiritual people who were your everyday, normal, everyday kind of guys and kind of girls. And also that's how I, I ventured into that, that kind of life. And they began to show me from their way of thinking that there was another way to see things, another way to, to see light. And all. Um, before you wake up in the morning, Sunday morning, you know you have to go to church. But then you have, I had friends who were not exactly that um, interested or enthusiastic about it. And I realized that I won't die if I don't, if I don't exactly um, go to church. And it made me um, understand more my, my faith. I began to see how that, oh, I began to see in its right context why people were, were instructed to gather, not to um, miss the fellowship of the brethren. It was not because you would die if you don't go, but, but because of that strengthening that came from it. And then um, social media became another tool of change for me. So many of my friends, people whom I communicated with all the time were white people, people who were not exactly Nigerian. And I have, I have noticed that where religion is concerned, well, almost where, where everything is concerned, um, it looks as though people who are not African, seem to 
always be pushing the frontier. It looks like that. And it looks like we're always catching up behind. And it always looks as though once the thing they've discovered enters into our community, we, we bastardize it. We, we take it beyond, we take it, uh, we overstretch it. And also, uh, most of the guys I started communicating with 2011 were Jewish priests, um, Jewish rabbis, um, people who were of, um, who were, who, who seemed to understand the culture. So I began to ask them questions. I began to ask white pastors questions. And because of the fact that their culture, their general culture allows, is more welcoming for questions. So it reflects in the way they handle their religion. So, so I was able to ask questions. I was able to be on someone's neck asking questions and get them answer my questions without them feeling that I was disrespectful and all of that. So, so the fact that I changed my um, community, I began to relate to people who were not exactly Nigerian in that sense, it really helped me. So I also then discovered Nigerians too, who were on that journey as well. So, so we almost attracted ourselves in those social media spaces. I was added to groups, I was added to pages where like minds um, gathered with like questions and they asked the same questions and all. And I began to make Nigerians, even so now I'm still in com communication with many of the people whom I met um, in that journey until I was able to rationalize most of the questions that were in my mind. I still have not gotten all the answers to my questions. I will not, I will not, um, I will not make a mistake by, by, by saying that I've gotten all the answers to my questions. But, but basically, I feel like I'm, I'm in a comfortable place in my journey in the faith where I'm willing to say, even if I don't have the questions, the answer to the questions, I can still keep going, um, expecting that along the line, some things will make sense to me. And also, so basically the community, that community shift was what helped me to, um, to keep pressing, to keep pushing and also that, that's what I would say did it for me. Yeah, that's what I would say did it for me. Okay, I think I'll go for it. Okay, Okay, maybe I should chat him up personally. I can't find him. Yeah, I think he got disconnected.
You should be on mute now. Yes, okay. I'm on mute already. Yes, okay. I'm back. Okay, so I think I answered, I think um, I answered the question or um, do I go, well, basically for me, let me just summarize everything I said so that we can just flow um, again from where I stopped. So um, to answer the question, which was, what was the thing that helped me keep going? The simple answer is community, that community shift. Um, the fact that I was able to engage people who didn't make me feel guilty for, for asking questions, people who made me feel comfortable to ask questions, people who still brought me back within the confines of um, the Bible, within the confines of the Word of God, and still encouraged me to ask questions without making me feel guilty, without making me feel bad about it and all. Those were, I think those were for me the major, that's for me the major um, thing, that community shift that happened for me helped me to um, keep asking questions because if, if I if I remained within the confines of um, the old um, the community I was coming from the Christian community I was coming from in that sense it was it was it was very very um, repressive most of my questions would have been shut down immediately it it arose without any answers being given but um it helped me see the world differently and helped me realize that um a new um, a new system of things could be built and to the best of my ability I hope it's what um, I'm still maintaining um, till now in every um, Christian activity that I get involved in and all of that. <laughs> okay, awesome contributions. You know, it, it's, it's beautiful because we recently had a conversation about the power of communities. And one thing that I've noticed is Aisha's response and response from Usain shows that we cannot lead change in isolation. We cannot lead change in isolation. We need to always intersect both every community within our community for us to be able to properly lead change. You know, that's the power of community. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now we've exhausted uh, the time for the first session. Let's jump right into the discourse, right? Where we try to tackle the real tough questions. So the first question I would like to also understand that I think will help us understand how to lead change is we need to understand why is our faith, why is our why is culture so influential on how communities are shaped? Why is it that, you know, why is Nigeria or Africa such a religious community? And then the US is not, is, you know, is, is, is faith-based, right? But they are still economically strong. So why, why, why is faith, religion, and culture so dominant, so influential in how economies of communities are shaped, right? I know it might be a tough question, so you can, you can take a breather to just, you know, ruminate on it. So Aisha, you'll go first again. Okay. Um... That is a very interesting question, and it's a whole course in sociology, I'll have you know. So um, I would say in quotes, I'll just give you a crash course. The, develop, the developmental stages that the US and Western Europe has gone through is very different from what Africa has gone through. So they've had an age of enlightenment, we've had colonialism. So the reactions to these um, eras are very different. And, culture has also been affected. So it's a very different, um, you know, they're just two very different things and two very different reactions. And so when people often, you know, tend to see the connection between religion holding us back from actually being economically, like growing economically, because there is a connection. Because when 
when technology says advanced in Europe, they had no need for religion the way they used to hold on to because technology seemed to answer their questions. There was development in medicine, there was development in like, you know, printing presses. So all these things, they didn't need it. But when they brought these things to us, they brought it with religion. So you can't divorce these two things away. And so, and you know, wow, in a way, it's not, it's, <laughs> thank mm. you. It's not because I feel like, see, I just had this discussion with somebody. Religion is not a bad thing because we Africans have had religion before colonialism came in. I'm totally like, I hate colonialism. I hate what it stands for. I hate what it has done to Africans. But we've had, we've had religion, we had Islam and Christianity before colonialism came. So that's why you've had things like Sudanese and Ethiopian Jews, you've had Ethiopian Muslims, you've had, um, you know, you've had Christians, you had Ethiopian Christians and Eritrean Christians. And you've had Coptic Christians. So these are things that we've had before colonialism. And we need to reclaim that narrative back. You know, it's not religion. We've had these things without the, without the perspective that, has, you know, that hasn't been clouded by the lens of colonialism. And we can reclaim that back. We Africans, Nigerians specifically, need to, you know, stay woke. They need to be awake. Um, I don't know how we are going to do it, but we have to go through an age of enlightenment that is for us and not for Europe or not for America. We have to go through that. So really that's my, my submission. You know, I, I'm going to come back to that. That was, that was really powerful to listen to. I, I, I don't know if we should go back to that question during the strategy session, but or, no, I think you should answer it now just, just to keep this, this as interesting, right? What do you think would define this age of enlightenment that we would need to go to for us to make that shift in narrative that would directly affect our economic health. If you need time I, to think about that, you can just. I don't know. Maybe you should give me time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> awesome. I don't okay, know. so we'll bring that back during the strategy session. So, uh, uh, Mr. Usen, sir, Pastor Usen, so what, what do you say? Right. So, um, <laughs> like, in fact, I was, I was so, ex I was so excited when she began to speak about um, the fact that we already had religion before the colonial era era this is this is this is something i was i was thinking that um, if it was not going to be mentioned then i'm going to start having to mention that at all in fact um, it's amazing how that um you see that what we even call the the, the basic major um, religions that we have in nigeria or in africa right now is um christianity and the muslim religion so you see that many of these religions were not exactly started by um, they weren't started by the Western world. They weren't started by, started by white men in that sense. Um, you realize that many of these things were cultural. For example, what we call the Bible was passed down. People were called the, the Essenes. The Essenes um, had a couple of books put together, which we now bring together what we now call um, the, the Judeo culture and all. So down, you, you see that we, we had Ethiopians who were already Christians long before um, colonialism began, so it 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 looks as though when colonialism entered into um, into the mix, into the African mix, um, a lot of issues began. So this is what the issue is. When colonialism came, we learned dependency. We learned um, we learned um, a pseudo dependency on a culture that is not exactly ours. So to take for example, we saw um, the 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 well the white. I'm careful 
to use the word white man because um, when I use the word white man, it 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 has it has a tendency to sell um, a racial slow, which is not exactly what I'm even trying to sell at all. But you found out that um, the white man came in and did bring um, certain things to the black man. Now um, the black man received those things because those things were different from um, the technology he had. He he, he had certain technologies already. For example, we already had our own civilization. Um, Egypt had a civilization that predated um, any, any, um, any Western, that predated the, the, the intrusion of Western civilization into our culture. Egypt already had a learning culture, a learning civilization. So, but what, what happened was that um, the white man came in and the white man brought with, with, with them their technological advancements brought with them um, their culture, brought with them their religion. And what happened with us is that we began to depend on um, what they brought in. Take for example, you see that this idea affects everything. It affects everything. Um, it, it, let me use passport because um, that's, that's within the context of my religion. Um, a pastor in Nigeria can have, um, can have a church of, let's say, 2,000 people, okay? And um, he has a sort of 2,000 people, and his members are not exactly, they come because, well, that's the church they've been attending. So they come, but they're not exactly as enthusiastic about it. But if a pastor wants to change the game, if he wants to change the game for a period of time, he can just invite one white pastor that probably has a membership of 35 people, and a membership of only 30 people to come all the way from um, the abroad, to come to Nigeria, come and preach. And throughout that period that the man is around, everybody's really excited because one white scoring pastor has come in. So it looks like it looks like we 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 have learned we have learned dependency on um on 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 a people that is not exactly ours. So that's why you found out that it's even involved in the slave trade. We sold our own people, we by ourselves carried our people and sold our own people simply because we're doing this to exchange um to exchange traditions, to exchange culture. And also so so answering the question um where will we how will we be able to plug it how will we be able to plug it we have to go back to realizing that africans we we as africans we can do things ourselves it's 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 almost becoming an annoying sight for me where um, when julia Vega or one of one of the construction companies wants to build a road you will see one white man there and it makes me wonder is there is there nobody who is from here that can actually fit into the role that that man um, explain why do we have to bring him from um, another country down? And the truth is, we have people who have this expertise. In fact, we probably have people who have this expertise, who are foremen, who are who are laborers under that man. But space will be created. I worked in the construction industry for for um, a period of time, and I saw how the people who had knowledge, who had um, technical know-how, will be sidestepped for somebody else who will be asking us. Because our terrain is different. Um, the way we build here is different. It seems, if you look at, um, let's use OU for example, um, the people who built OU, they don't build OU for Nigeria. They didn't build OU for Nigeria. That's the fact of life. So that's why you notice that sometimes in lecture theaters, the roofing systems have given way. Because we are in the temp, we are, our, 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 our weather is different from their weather there. You see um, all sorts of air cooling vents. That don't exactly fit our culture. That don't fit our weather here. So they basically imported stuff that didn't work for us. 
um, about 2005 or 2006 or so, if, if I'm not mistaken, the Nigerian government imported dogs, security dogs. They imported security dogs, <laughs> it's amazing. They imported security dogs that are not bred in Nigeria. They spent so much money imported security dogs. And what happened was that it made those dogs got in here, they died because they're not built for this, for this, for this, for this environment and all. So here's what, here, here's what I'm, I'm saying. We, we now, all of us now, have to go back to realizing that we are enough. Okay, we have to go back to realizing that we are enough. We, we are good enough. We, we can depend on ourselves. We have been trained enough. We've had so many years of being ourselves. We've had so many years of, of, um, of being ourselves that we can actually- Actually, our own challenges. We've had so many years of being African. So we've had so many years of being, uh, I've had so many years of living the Nigerian life. So I know what it is like to be a Nigerian. I know what it is like to be able to, to, to prefer solutions. I'm saying all of us seated here. So we understand what we need to do. So we need to go back to that culture of competency, of dependence on ourselves, on our ability to, to deal with our own problems. Basically, that, I think if we can plug that, every other, it will, it will reflect in every aspect of our lives as a people. Wow, that was that was really insightful and impactful. Thank you so much for that. So let's jump right into the next session, which is let us get practical. Let's bring it home. Now, the conversation around the venture makers for the future of Africa, right, is that the young people are the ones that are going to change this narrative, right? Because more than sixty percent of this our African. If I, I'm not generalizing, if I say our African demography is actually young, right, and these young people are mostly represented in the undergraduate community. For, for crying out loud, we spend more than, we spend at least minimum four years within a geographical location, right? So I think it's worth the conversation if we just talk about us, you know, the undergraduate community. So for practicalities, right? How can the undergraduate community, right? The, the faith-based um, organizations, the, the, the religious um, institutions in the undergraduate community, how can we change the narrative about the economic look of Africa, right? So Aisha, I hope you have an answer for us <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now. Um, you know, yeah. because you talked about this stage, <laughs> this stage of enlightenment. So how can this undergraduate community? Let's let's forget the general populace. Let's talk about us. What is our own contribution, right? So how can we change the narrative through, as you said, um, this stage of enlightenment? What can we do as, as a community? Okay, so I think that you know. Um, <sighs> We need to start embracing, I would say the first thing we need to do, and it seems like a simple thing if you ask me, and probably I'm perhaps being too idealistic, I don't know, so you know, but I think we need to start embracing our culture. For example, um, you want to do something and you don't look at it, you are, you are thinking about, I don't know, I'm not like, oh, how do I explain, okay. So you know how we all grew up, grew up rather in, on, I don't know, daytime TV shows, and then the daytime TV shows were not really Nigerian. For people that grew up in, well, not core neighborhoods, and you know, kind of middle class to be rich, we, they grew up on TV shows that were not really Nigerian. And so their thinking itself, because their socialization isn't really, really for Nigerians. And then because pop culture is a global thing, it has been like, it's really like globalization. So what happens is that, you know, we see Adidas, we see Nike, we see 
converts. We don't have any household names that are out that ours. We see Facebook, we see Disney Channel, we see Trap, even our you know our, our music. Nothing is who listens to Fuji Among Us like, like that that kind of thing exactly like you know everything is really like and so it's really like the socialization of like by the media and even schools and everything is it's I would say it's really from a sociologist's point of view I would say it's really not for us and so we need to do things that are by Nigerians for Nigerians we need to sort of embrace that. Because until we start to do that, we won't, you know, and, you know, I did, I learned this lesson most, right, when I volunteered at a, um, for um, a deaf culture organization, when I realized that we, we use American Sign Language, but we actually do have Indigenous Sign Language, and it affects people very negatively. These things affect us negatively, but we don't know. So to answer your question, really, I think that an age of enlightenment will not come until there is a revolution in our thinking. And maybe that's a very idealistic thing to say. Maybe it takes one person and then from one person, you know, other people, you give people the courage to say, okay, you know what, if this person is doing it, I can do it too. You know, that kind of thing. Maybe it just takes one person to say, I am going to make something for Nigerians by Nigerians. And I see it happen slowly. I think about Zikoko, for example, my good friend, um, Fouad is there. Yeah, <laughs> Amazing things with the cocoa. I mean, it's like it's like BuzzFeed, but think of I think it's a disservice even to it's like BuzzFeed. It's just amazing what they do. Media for Nigerians by Nigerians. I think of Kicks. Kicks is this, I don't know if you guys know it. It's like this um shoe company. Shoe brand. Yeah. Exactly. And you know what they do is amazing. I you know, it's just it's so important that we when we when we do when we produce things. And see, I think when I think about it, there's nowhere in the world that is teeming like with ideas than the undergraduate community. Think about it. Facebook started when Mark Zuckerberg was in school. And think of Reddit, you know, all these things. People were in school for carrying out loud when they started this. My space, the MySpace era, you know, stuff like this. This like you have ideas when you're in school because you don't have anything to do. So you exactly. just like you your don't have worries. Like, Hmm. Exactly, your friends are paying your school fees, like you know, they are giving you money, like call them up. I'm like, yo, daddy, what's up now? Like that kind of thing. So like, you you have you have you have an idea. You might not even have like the resources because I acknowledge that people are really struggling in school. I am privileged. I acknowledge that it's not like I came from rich family, but I am privileged because I never had to worry about a lot of things. But I acknowledge that people are struggling in school and they still have ideas, but don't give up on them. That's my point. Don't give up on it right now. So you want, and it's so important that people also create spaces for other, for like adults, young, like adults, the Muslim community, for example, older people create spaces for these people to be able to be comfortable enough to explore these Express ideas. Express themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. You, you tend to see a lot of, and I think it, it comes with age, because probably by the time I'm old, I'm going to be like, I can't take this risk, because I have more to lose. But mm -hmm. that's why we have to have people that can guide us. Like, see, mentorship, it has to be a thing. Um, mm. Mentorship has to be a thing. What else again? I'm thinking about giving people grants. I mean, zakat is a whole thing in Muslim, in Muslim mm -hmm. um, like, ideology give people these things explore their ideas if they fit into zakat um if they're eligible for zakat like these are things there's so many things that honestly i can't even mention because i don't know them more but just this is these are the few things i have to say essentially
All right, brilliant submission. And and just to add to what um, Aisha said, you know, I've had I've had the same Niger brand. Guys. Um, I've had the same conversation about Niger brands versus global brands. And one thing that people miss out in the conversation is that these brands have had time that our brands do not have. You know, everybody calls an Amani, a Hugo Boss. If you hear how much time those guys have spent doing business, you know, some of them 20, 50, 30 years, 100 years even. So, of course, they can build better products that look, you know, extra fly than what we're doing here. But it's a matter of time and not a matter of competence, actually, because... You know, we need to look at that conversation. But the thing is, we cannot defer saying, oh, since they are beating us at the game, we can't get involved. No, we need to start creating value. And of course, we, the underground community, should most participate in that because we have that time. So imagine you start, you know, a brand, you know, in your undergraduate days. That means in the next four years, five years, when you are out, you've already built five years into the brand. So the next five years will just be another 10 years where you're building competence around your, your value proposition. So thank you so much, Aisha, for that brilliant submission. Um, so Usain, what do you have to say about that? All right. Um, now, while in fact, I almost have what she said is perfectly flawless. There's almost nothing. There's, you know, there's almost only, you know, when, when the bucket is full, it's not best to leave it that way. Um, so, um, but however, um, there are a few things I also want to stress, which is um, number one, if we try to go through, um, one of the questions everybody could be wondering is um, the role of the government and all of this. I think I saw that pop up somewhere. The truth is that the government will not be able to do anything as it is now. So everything has to go back to the unicellular beginning of life. Now, we remember in social studies that time, we were told that the beginning of every community is the, um, is the family. The beginning of every community is the family, and the family is where everything begins to spring out from. Now, when I look at, um, because of my, my love for learning, when I look at um, the, the Quran, or I look at the Bible, I realize that there is so much teaching in faith. There's so much faith-based teaching, but it's the, that because we, of how we super spiritualize them, we have not realized that stuff that should actually be applied for everyday living. So let, let me give you an example, like one I, I must have mentioned to you before. Um, in the Bible, you'll find a way that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And, uh, and that is a culture that the Jews and people who are generally within, the, um, within that area, those who are people who are Jews, who are Arabs, who, who are within that middle area of, of the world, that's a general culture that they have that um, when um, a, a young man is getting married, um, the grandfather should have kept money for him or should have kept the house for him. Or something, but we hear that we read that in in the Christian religion, in the, in the Christian faith, and we just super spiritualize and we tell ourselves, "Oh, God is our grandfather; He has kept something for us," and we just we just say all sorts of things and walk away. If we are going to come back to that age of enlightenment, we have to come back to practicality. We have to become extremely practical. So this means that um, Aisha goes on to have a family. I go on to have my family. Um, and because the truth is right now, we are, we are that breaking point. We are, the, we are the middle line. We are that wall of defense as it is now. So um, Aisha goes on to have a family. I go on to have my family. And from a tender age, Jews have round table conversation with the kids. In fact, an average, an average Jew boy, by the time he's 16, 18, he has MBA worth of knowledge as regards business and investment not from any other book, from their Torah, from the Torah. So, so and look at it, um, the average, um, average Shango worshiper, most, most people do not know this. 
that the African tradition, most of those, um, most of those incantations that the African tradition has, when you hear the incantation, it looks like as if they use the Nigerian movie to call out demons and all. If you're somebody who is versed in the tradition, once you hear those, those incantations, those incantations are, are information that has been passed down by oral traditions from one, from one generation to another. Um, how, one, how the great grandfather used a particular knowledge, used a particular leaf to win, how we use a particular um, information um, to um, maybe they, they mention how that, oh, this particular grandfather discovered this particular leaf and this leaf was able to cure a, a certain disease. And they say it in the incantation, but that information is being passed down by oral tradition for everyone who learns that. But the African man, instead of him to learn that and go find out what that leaf is and probably make it into a drug or make it into something that people can use, he, he, he puts it off into the area of superstition and it becomes a problem for the African mind. So, so, so here, here is what we must do. We must return back to practicality. Every one of us who is here, uh, whether we like it or not, we are about at least, we are, we are at least more than four people in this conversation. That means we are at least four families. I think none of us gets married to each other, but we are at least four families here. So four, that means there are at least four future families. Here we must return back to that that basic thing that every every religion teaches. God spoke about Abraham, saying that Abraham was the one who was preferred because he was going to be able to communicate with his children. So that means that he was going to run a home cell system of some sort where he was going to be able to communicate that idea, the ideas he had learned with his kids. How we can return there? The truth is, you and I may never eventually see that age of enlightenment. We may never see it because it's something that is handed over to someone. So what we can do is at the very least train our kids in, um, in, in practical thinking. When we sit down to have conversations, when we're eating dinner, we're not just discussing how mommy is annoying, how daddy is annoying. We're not just having conversation with how mommy annoyed us and how uh, we wish that we married a slimmer wife or something. We're having conversations that are around um, global, global empowerment. Imagine if, imagine yes, if parents yes. their kids uh, maybe you, you heard there was a seminar somewhere. You sent your kids to travel down there to go um, engage in that seminar, to go be part of that seminar and come back home. And then you ask questions. What did you learn there? Imagine if, if, if parents had such platforms where kids were told to learn global languages, were told to learn their language. Many of us cannot even speak our language. So imagine if kids were sent, to, if kids were told to go learn their, their native languages. Imagine that. Imagine if Many of us cannot exactly even communicate in our native language. So, so it's, it's, it's a whole lot of work, but we are going to be the ones that have to start it. Honestly, honestly, we can, we, we will not be able to see that age of enlightenment. I am being as practical as possible. We'll probably only be able to see it in our heads, see it in our dreams, see it when we have visions or eureka moments from the other side. But however, if we start off with the people whom, whom we are going to raise with our kids, you who you are, you are a thought leader. You have all of us under here. We are your kids, as it is right now. <laughs> so you start of, um, being able to, to teach us, to teach us regular. That's why churches, mosques, um, places like this are places where people aggregate together and, and, and information is being communicated. Oh God, my pastor side has shown what I've been here. I run like two services. God have mercy. I am, I am now. <laughs> I am now. Wow, amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to have um, 
we're still going to have conversations, right? I, I'm going to I'm going to plead with you to give us you know, some little extra time, all right? So one thing is let's talk about the topic of practicality, right? Please, sorry about the noise. Uh, of course, I'm in an office. So how do we how do we different? You know, how do we find that? thin line between what is faith-based and what offers practicality. Now, um, Usain said something about, you know, that most times because we are not exposed to the practicality of the things that we're learning in our faith and our religion. So how do we best explore the practicality of our faith in in, 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 in our everyday problems and challenges, right? So let, let Aisha go, that, go at that. So how... Okay, I'm unmuted now. I'm unmuted now. So, um, to answer the question, I've actually been reading <laughs> the comments, and the person that he said I don't agree, I don't agree, is my father. And you see what I said about like um, old people not having, not being able to take this. Like he's just exemplifying that. <laughs> I don't know. That's just the truth. I don't because I am young and everything just seems like if there's an opportunity, I am just going to jump at it. I'm sorry. And this is the age I am in right now. But just, just off the top of my head, um, I would say that between, I, I, I would interpret that question as really as a, what are the, maybe perhaps what are the collective responsibilities that both faiths need to come together mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, because we, the, like I said, nobody is like North Korea. Even North Korea is just an idea. They themselves are not North Korea. They have to sort of ask for help sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so, like, I would say that it's just we need to work through trust issues. See, sometimes we have to be adaptable, we have to be flexible, and we have to be practical. So, for example, you are i'm sorry if i'm not answering this question very um, correctly you are for example a fashion modest fashion fashionista you have a business for example and you know that um this business that to get the profit you want the muslim population will not only speaking to the muslim population will not cut it for you so why don't you it's not as if it's only Muslims that dress modestly. We have mm -hmm. people that dress that Christians, mm -hmm. they dress modestly too. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. See, one of the first when the modest fashion industry was just blooming in about 2006, and it wasn't really a global thing, and Muslims were still wearing hijabs and looked like camel homes, and it was kind of ridiculous because I would not wear hijab like that right now. I look at my mom's old pictures and I'm like, whoa, like you so much, please, you know? The, one of the first people to cater to Muslims was a Jewish, was an Orthodox Jewish company. Yep. And they were catering wow. to Muslims. Yes, wow. they, were catering, they were catering to Muslims in America, in New York. For and long time now. honestly, they were, that was what they were doing. We need to expand our horizons. We have so much in common. I'm telling you, we have so much in common. So like, it doesn't even have to be like modest fashion. You are, for example, you are, renting out um, speakers on Sundays. But mm -hmm. you know that on, on Fridays, Muslims are going to also use those speakers for Juma. Why are you not renting it out to them? 
we have yeah. to break down the trust issues. Like business, I'm sorry, business is business. Like when there's no money, it doesn't matter whether you're a person or not. <laughs> you're gonna starve. I'm telling yeah. you. Like so, like you have to be practical. You have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. You need to sort of, you know, I, I'm not like if I'm not saying that you should not have ethics. See, I'm all for ethics. This is my criticism a lot of times when I'm arguing with people against you know, the capitalist system that we find ourselves in, we don't have ethics a lot of times. Have ethics by all means. But you also need to know that business is going to move on without you. You need to understand that. Am I, Patel, am I doing okay? You are hitting, you are hitting the nail on the head brilliantly. Okay. Brilliant. So, so this, this is really it for me. I'm, this is the end for me. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much. That was, wow, that was, that was really insightful. Um, Usain, what, what do you have to say? <laughs> Why do you always have to do this to me? Why do you always have to put me behind such great um, contributions like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, okay, awesome. Um, uh, I'm still just going to restate what she has said. We have so much in common. Um, I know that um, this is something that many Christians don't like to hear me say. Many Christians don't like to hear me say it, but I love to say it. We have so much in common, so much in common. Um, um, at the very least, we are humans at the end of it. Um, we are humans at the base of all of it. And all of us um, are reaching out to, to God, God whom none of us can see. Um, mm. The Christians cannot exactly see him. The Muslims cannot exactly see him. None, the God whom none, all of us are reaching out faith-based, by reaching out to something that we, we, we all sense. We all sense that someone. We all sense that someone. And um, to the best of our abilities, we're reaching out the best that we can. Heck, Christians cannot even agree among themselves. So um, <laughs> um, mm. we even need to create trust among mm. ourselves. The white garment guy is always seen as the, the, the guy. Every time you want to ask a false prophet in a movie, you make sure he wears white garments and all. Whereas we have solid white garment guys who truly are sincere and truly will do all they can within the ability to be of help. And we have guys in suits who will do all they can to ruin your life and all. So um, we, 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 we see that even among ourselves, there is, there, is a general, um, there is a general trust issue. I mean, even among ourselves, I mean, that's one body who we claim is we are under Jesus Christ. We have general trust issues within us. And I think it's down to that human thing. Everybody wants to build their empire. Everybody wants to build their own thing. Everybody wants to be the best. I want to be the best pastor in the world. The guy that has two million people coming on the Sunday morning, cutting hold of on the road, and it makes me feel good. Awesome, fine. If that's what your dream and ambition is, good. Whatever rocks your boat. But, but uh, back to what she said, we need to come back to having trust between ourselves. Trust within ourselves. I tried so hard um, to reach out to the um, to the Muslim community when I was an undergraduate, I tried so hard. Um, the Christians felt I was being stupid, I was being dumb. Um, some of the Muslims I spoke to, because the Christians felt that I was being dumb, they also felt like, I like, what's this guy doing here? This guy is spy. Is he coming to? What's he coming to do? And all I really tried so hard to reach out because I hope I would be able to have conversations. We'll be able to sit down and have conversations i'll be able to ask questions and not asking questions from i from a trying to hack each other point of view the truth is i remember i i, I okay i don't I've, I've not said this publicly before but i attended one msn um, meeting once and we guys were speaking about who is jesus 
and I literally wore a full jalabia. My friend allowed me to come in. Uh, I, I, I wore the whole outfit. I came in, I sat down. Some pictures were taken of me. It was my church got to hear about it. Um, everybody, everybody, oh boy, everybody ate me for dinner, breakfast the next day, lunch the next day, dinner the next day. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was wicked. But I learned so much. I learned, I learned how people from another faith saw my Jesus, who my, whom I felt I had, I'm, I'm, since I'm the one who created this, I have pretense to him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so um, I saw how people from other things saw him and it, it, it expanded my mind again about, it made me love him a little more, a lot more. And all. so I feel like we need to have more conversations like that, where people from different states can sit down in a, in a conducive environment. Not in an environment where everybody is willing to bring out thoughts at the end of the day, but in a conducive environment, have conversations. I can ask questions, and then I can have my questions answered, and I can leave there appreciating our difference a lot more, and appreciating um, a lot more as well. So I think for me, that for me that would be it. That's that aggregating, bringing people together to be able to have conversations and. Maybe trust will come from it. For example, if I see Aisha on this on this on the streets now, um, I'm generally disposed to want to say, hey, hey, I know you, I know you from somewhere. That's 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 because we had a conversation here. And if she sees me on the street, she probably, if she was driving a car, she probably want to park and be like, hey guy, Ava, where are you headed? And then I come in and all because we've had this conversation. I think we need to have more conversations actually, so people can let down their guards, as in we're not going to kill each other. We're the only ones we have. As in, we cannot be friends to goats or cows. It's human beings that we'll be friends with. So, well, I think that's, those are the things we need to do. Conversations like this. Wow. Amazing stuff. This is so, so interesting, right? Um, you know, and I, I, I remember clearly stating it that one thing that should even define why we need to work together based on whatever faith we have is even though we are not united by one belief system, we are actually united mm -hmm. by the same challenges that we yeah. all experience. Your Christianity will not hold you back from hunger or from your from you not having clothes. Economics, the state of nations, the, the wealth or prosperity level of nations will directly affect you independent of your faith. So it's fine. Let's not agree on some things. That's totally fine. But yeah. when it comes to the things that we all share as a challenge, we can focus on that because the challenges keep growing even when our solutions are not growing. So if we are not creating enough solutions to tackle the growing problems, we'll remain in the same problems, fighting under the same worst conditions. You know, it's better to be fighting when there's AC everywhere. You know, the shout guys, is different. Guys, <laughs> guys. So um, awesome. So let's round, let's, you know, we've taken more time, but I think we still need to have this one. This So we're going to round up on this conversation, right? Which is the forum. Now you've still, um, Asha made a very brilliant point about mentorship. And Usain um, also stressed the important point about interfacing and having conversations with communities that are totally different from you. You know, seek a different perspective, seek a different um, um, conversation. So one thing I think we need to focus on is how do we build, you know, cross-faith relationships? How do we build cross-faith mentorship? How do we build, how do we facilitate cross-stakeholder uh, uh, um, um, relationships that directly affect the community? Now, let's not even talk about Nigeria or Africa. Let's talk about within this small ecosystem of an undergraduate community, how can leaders facilitate cross-faith uh, multi-stakeholder relationships towards you know, contributing to the future of Africa? So Aisha, could you, could you respond to that? 
<clears throat> All right, thank you um, again for asking that question. I just want to put this out there before I address you know, how we can um, build not just um, tolerance, because just very tolerating each other is not good enough. We're actually mm -hmm. coming to appreciate differences. I just want to put this out there. If you are in um, a position whereby you have to build um, bridges between people who are different from you, you first need to look within your community. I see, and I see that someone whose job for about a year was actually being in charge of the interfaith communication um, and dialogue arm of our organization. I see this all the time. And even for myself, I'm also very guilty of this. There are people within my community that needs to be reached out to that feel excluded for whatever reason, maybe a Muslims who have a different ideology, or maybe for example, Muslims who look different from me. When I say look different, I just don't mean maybe they're not wearing hijab or they're not you know, wearing jarabia or anything. I mean, Muslims are probably disabled, Muslims who are not in the same economic class as I am. And I'm not reaching out to these people but I mm. want to go and reach out to other people. That is hypocrisy mm. at you know, of the highest form. Mm. So you wow, want brilliant. it to be a success. You want it to be a success. You need to reach out. You have to make sure that your faith is for everybody. Because at the mm. end of the day, when faith came, whatever faith you practice, it came to come and save people. It did not come to exclude anybody. Yep. With yep. that being said, without with that being said, if you want to um, act, like you know, learn, you know how to build bridges. You have to be patient. You have to be patient, one. Two, you have to consistently renew your intentions. This is not about you. So if it's very hard to, at the beginning, we're humans, we're selfish, you want to center the conversation around you. You just want it to be like, oh, people see what you are doing. You know, you're like, you know, part of this, you're part of that. Like, nigga, you have to stop. You have to stop. <laughs> this is not, it has never been about you. It's not about you. So you need to make sure that you don't center yourself around the conversation. And you need to be able to read and do research about why people do what they do. I mean, literally empathy is, and empathy is not something you come you know, to earth with. So you have to develop empathy. You have to take a muscle, you have to develop it. So what it means is that you have to read books from, not for, not for example, if I want to read about Christianity, I'm not going to, and I'm, I'm in this you know, job, I'm not going to read, or I, am, I have this book, I'm not going to read a book about Christianity, written from the perspective of a Muslim, because I know that at the end of the day, it's just going to be like propaganda. I'm going to read wow, Christianity brilliant. from the perspective wow. of the Christian, hmm. and vice versa. You need to understand why people do what they do. Why is it that hmm. Christians, like you have to literally, it's hard, but you really need to try to put aside your bias. And... There are many things, even though we have see, this is not this is not to say that you should not believe in what you believe in. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. See, this diversity is what makes us beautiful. This diversity is what makes us stand out. But you need to also, at the end of the day, have an appreciation for the finer things that your count, that your that your Christian, your people of other faith, not just because we are not the only people, it's not just Muslim or Christians in Nigeria. Yeah. We have Jews, yeah. we have other people, yeah. other faiths. Traditional worshippers, you have to have a, an appreciation for the other things they do that are so beautiful that you look mm -hmm. at them and you're like, oh, you know what? I wish, I wish as a Muslim I could embody this better. Mm. So yeah, that, that's it for me. That's it for me. Ah oh, man, wow. Oof. 
<laughs> wow, amazing. Please, Usain, let, let's see. <laughs> I know she has, she has set the bar so high. Wow. What can I do? What can I do anyway? <laughs> wow. Um, basically, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to remember um, a personal experience that actually changed, changed the game for me. And uh, maybe it will give context to everything that she has said, because every single element of what she has said and even, of course, she, she took it the extra mile, of course, she, she blew it out of the water. But every single element of what she spoke about was in that experience. So um, we young people, it turned out I, I lived in an area in Ife at the time, and I had to help um, a particular church at that time to help them. Um, they, were, they were building um, at that time. The building at the time, and so um, we needed we needed because of the fact that I had expertise in that field. So it turned out I was the guy who seemed to be giving up, backing out the orders um, a lot more. Now during that, that that period, just just not too far from us, there was another. Um, there was a should I call well, they are an Islamic community anyway. So um, they built a house where many of them lived in. And also they were they were building that house and something happened. Um, a wall that they had felt there was a wall that they had built and that, that wall had collapsed because of rain and all of that. And um I remember how I remember how everybody were like, ah, it's God that's caught them. Like that. I remember how we how everybody felt, ah, it's God that's caught them. See now, see what happens. Yeah, I think somebody actually injured something, it fell on somebody was actually by the fence at the time. And that guy is God that caught them. If if they had no if they accepted Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ would have prevented the wall from falling as though Christians don't have um, their own share of um disasters and all of that. But I remember there was an, an elderly person among us, an elderly person among us. I got to realize that he was once um he was once um, a Muslim while he was he grew up in a Muslim community before he traveled and then um became Christian and all of that. So he's he has that empathy. There's that part of him where he knows, he feels, he feels the pain of that, of that um, sect, of that group. So he took all of us, he carried all of us, and we all went there. So he told us that he was going to pay for our, our for our labor that day for us to be able to help them unpack the blocks and all of that and try to help them construct. Now, what was now this 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 changed me when we got there. Um, the the mother of the house, the mother of the house. She was probably dressed just like Aisha is now, dressed with, and she looked very very trendy. She looked. She was not your average. Um, you know, there's how we Christians just have in our brain that uh, a Muslim should just have every part of her body covered, which is beautiful, but um, it's 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 foreign to us. So it looks somehow in our heads, just like how when 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 we see um, a brother who wears big trousers and all, and maybe carries a bag and is preaching all around the place. It looks weird to people who are not brought up in that culture. And also she came in, she saw us working and she prepared some of the, one of the best, as in I've noticed a stew that good in a long time. She prepared stew, and uh, uh, please, but my wife was not here that I said that she prepared stew that was. <laughs> so, so, oh my God. So, all of this online, Jesus Christ. <laughs> to come back to haunt me. <laughs> so oh my she God. really, really good, warm stew and um, food. And um, she served us. <laughs> Someone said she's here already. She served us and we got to, we ate it. And I realized that we, she sat down with us. Um, the, the Muslim brothers came back from where they went to. They joined us. And that, that one day, that one day, um, for me, I will never forget that man. He's, he's, he's late now. But 
that one day forever stands in my mind as I got to see that what exactly what it's rain it's I saw from my um, from my knowledge of building, I saw that um, if there was good drainage, which there was no drainage in that environment, you know what was, was, what was funny? Few years after that, few years after that, the place that we were building, the wall, the fence of the place that we were also cave into. So um, nobody, I, I don't now know, at least we, we couldn't laugh at ourselves and all of that, but it's, it's, it's beautiful how that those, that kind of environment allowed us, allowed me to see things differently. So the best I can say is if you're in a place where uh, basically be of help to people irrespective of the sticker that is on their, on their car. If the sticker is um, 2020, my year of my year of power in the name of Jesus Christ, and you are not there, you're not from there, um, do well to help if you see that a person's car has broken down on the road, or do well to help if um, while you are trying to help, as you as a person opened the door of the tinted glasses so that they were all robed up to ban and all of that, don't just drive your car and zoom off, do well to, to be of help. I think it's down to that basic thing that we all share in our religion, mm. which is that, that picture of love. Do well, love. To mm. your brother mm. do well to reach out to your brother, your brother your brother your brother must be reached out to um that we are all from we are all one we're all from one religion of humanity all of us and while oh we my god, god and while we wow. the religion god, of humanity wow so all our pains and our struggles my car gets bad on the road some other person's car gets bad on the road let's do well to let's do well to look past Let's do well to look past the good. The good Samaritan story is a classic story that that Jesus said. Mm. The Jews were mm. not supposed to have the Samaritan, but one Jew, one Jew did. So I think we should be more in love with ourselves, really. Basically. Wow, wow, wow! I have been impacted. I I feel goosebumps everywhere. Thank you so pray, much for lending pray, your time. Pray the goosebumps. Pray the goosebumps. <laughs> Wow, thank you so much for lending us your time. Um, you've given a voice to a revolutionary generation, right? It might look like, you know, it's just a small number of people here, but we have started something powerful. Thank you so much, Usain. Thank you, Aisha, for lending your voice. It has been really amazing. And, you know, I'm so glad I was still able to keep the time. You know, this is just 1.15. So this was so this was time well spent, and I really appreciate you for joining in. I would have really loved you to give conclusionary statements, but of course, I would like to take more of your time. So thank you so much, Hussein, for coming. Um, thank you, Aisha, for coming. And I hope you guys have a great day. But if you would still like you leave a, leave, a, leave a final comment, if you don't mind the extra time, you can leave a comment. <laughs> oh. oh, Aisha, okay, okay, okay. I was saying I have nothing to say. I mean, Hussein, I that story of having a paradigm shift, that was, I have nothing to say. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, awesome. I think we've had an amazing time. So that ends the conversations around series two. Wow, uh, I really, I'm really excited for what series three will bring. Um, thank you so much for joining in and have a beautiful day. You too. Bye, bye everybody. Yeah, bye.